You're listening to Answering Difficult Questions Biblically, a Sunday school series taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Question number one. The first question we're going to tackle today is more of an apologetic style question. All right, and you'll get a feel of what this is like, and then what I want you to do is take those cards, get on your email, and send in some questions that you have, because it really might be helpful for others to hear your, the, question, the answer to the question that you have, okay? The question, first question we're going to deal with today is, if evolution is not true, why does everyone seem to believe it? This is a question that asked by one of our teens. If evolution is not true, right, and we teach, we preach that it's not true, then why does everyone seem to believe it? And I think this is one of those questions that could be a whole series by itself. We could spend a long time trying to answer that question. Uh, but I'm going to try and give you a, a few things to think about, a few resources to check out. In fact, I have them here. Um, if, you are, if you are really interested in the subject of evolution, I just grabbed the first few I found in my... Like, I've, I've got more than this, but um, the case for the creator, creation of the courts, Darwin's black box... A fine-tuned universe, uh, the new evidence that demands a verdict. Th- those are just a few of the resources. If you are interested and you want one of those, you can loan it. You can, you can borrow it from me, okay? So, before we get into answering the question, let's examine the question for a moment. Um, does everyone believe evolution? No, I mean, but, but we understand that the, the person that asked the question wasn't thinking that everyone believed it. It was just... Why does everyone, you know, it seems like everyone in society in general seems to believe it. Well, here's one thing that's interesting for you to know. According to a a Pew Research Center study of 230 countries that was done in 2012, they said that 16% of the world's population is not affiliated with any religion, while 84% are affiliated with a religion. In other words, at least 84% of the world's population in 2012 would say that they believe in something. They, they would affiliate with some set of, some belief system, some type of higher power, right? I'm not arguing that there's a ton of people in the world that are Christians that you don't know about. But what I'm saying is, when we look at humanity as a whole, it does seem like most of humanity recognizes that there must be something more than themselves, So most of, and God, I mean, this makes sense biblically because God put himself on our heart. And and it tells me that while while there might be a lot of people in society who believe evolution, there aren't a whole lot of people that say, I believe in evolution apart from any working of God or of some kind of deity. Most people, if if, if evolution is true, they might, granted, it might be true in their view, but they don't know for sure. They don't think that it would have happened without God. Okay, so does that, that make a little bit of sense that when we're looking at the question, first, don't feel like everybody in the world just sees the facts and they're like, yeah, absolutely, evolution could occur without any use of God. Most people don't think that. So the question is really, um, why is it that evolution is professed by the academic and the scientific community in our country to be true? to be a proven scientific fact rather than just a theory. And I've got a few reasons why I think that that is the case. Um, 
First, I think that, that this might be really obvious, but people believe it because that's what they're taught to believe. Almost everything we're taught to believe as a child, we believe. Right? And, and, and unless, for some reason, that belief is challenged, then we continue to believe it. And the truth is, I think most people don't have a good reason to challenge that belief. There's not many people, not many adults, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people and they believe in evolution. And most of the time, when you ask, well, have you done a lot of study on it? It's like, no, that's what I, taught, that's what I was taught in school. Right? That's what everybody is taught in school. And so that's what everybody believes. And unless somebody challenges you to, to research it more, then you're just going to continue to believe it. Another reason is evolution does occur. So, um, okay, many, when, when you're talking about evolutionary science, you're talking about a historical science, right? You're talking about something that happened in the past. You're talking about trying to figure out, it's, it's kind of more like solving a crime than it is doing a, a scientific test in a test tube to find the, the absolute proven result. And if you were to think about what it's like to solve a crime, let's say a crime occurs, all right? We have 10 pieces of evidence, okay? Maybe there's a little bit of a video and maybe there's some fingerprints and maybe, like there's, there's 10 different things that they're evidence. Um, some are stronger than others. And we have three possible suspects. So what do you do with those three possible suspects? to determine whether or not they might have committed the crime. Well, you're going to look at the evidence, and you're going to compare the evidence to that person, those suspects, and determine who most likely committed the crime. In other words, whose um, actions, whose DNA, whose fingerprints, whose, who, who does it look like as we look at the evidence that could have possibly committed the crime, and that everything just lines up and fits right. And once we find we, we're able to put the puzzle together, we likely narrow out two of those subjects, or maybe even three of the suspects, and we say, we don't know who did it. We still we have somebody else out there that we don't know who did it, right? So if you think about what we're doing with when we're determining origin science, okay, you're taking, I mean, endless data, literally endless points of data, and then you're trying to, to, to take different theories, different ideas about how we came to be and compare that with the facts that we know. And one thing that's, that's shocking to some people is that creation scientists and evolutionary scientists both share the same facts. We both have the same data, right? Uh, there was a, a youth conference once and the preacher said something like, you have to choose if you're going to believe in the Bible or science. I was like, no, that's not true. That's not true at all. I would never tell a child that they had to believe in the Bible or science. That's not it. We have to have a, a proper understanding of science and what the, the limits of science. Science is super helpful in so many ways. But you can't put, how did we get here, into a test tube and get an answer. So you have to look at all of the points of data that we have, and we have to start looking at theories and philosophies that we have and, and try and understand them. And so um, I said that evolution does occur. It does occur. Microevolution is a brilliant, and I would say a brilliant design by God to allow species to continue even though their environment changes. 
So the survival of the fittest, how, how does microevolution occur? Well, it occurs because certain traits are deemed more helpful in different environments, and so th- that whole species can, can kind of develop this direction or this direction and can change depending on what environment they're in. It's a brilliant design. Okay, I would say it's a brilliant design by a brilliant creator, but what happens is uh, an evolutionist would look at microevolution, which is small scale, you know, within a species or within a kind, and they would push that. They would say, well, over you know, millions and billions of years, maybe you can have this, which slowly changes into like a, I don't know, a bird with a longer beak, and you end up with a dog. A dog. Well, that's that's if you push it billions of years, that's that's where the thinking goes. And I know, I know I say that and it sounds silly, but if you were to actually think, okay, if if in this you know hundred years that we can observe, we see this much change, then is it plausible that that change would continue to something different than what it currently is? And an evolutionist would answer the question, yes, it is. And our brains go, well, that kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense to me. But, and so, so why, why is it taught? Well, part of it is because there is, their representation or their understanding of the evidence that we have isn't completely wild in a lot of cases. That in a lot of cases, they, they've got the theory because there is some evidence that seems to point toward a theory like this, like microevolution, like, and I know that this is, okay, I'll get to it in a second, but like the fossil record. It'll point to some things in the fossil record and say, hey, look, here's, here's a creature. It looks like it could be a transitional creature between this and this, and so maybe that's, you know, the process of evolution in the past. Um, and they'll also look at genetics, and they, they look at the fact that, hey, you know, it's fascinating that we look through all of the animal kingdom and we share so many similarities with different mammals that it just makes sense that we all came back from one place at one point, right? So genetics would, would speak to this just kind of treeing out into all these different species. And does that make sense? So that's what they would say. And, and when we look at the evidence, we say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, there is some creatures that we don't have around today that were around back then, could be transitional creatures. There's microevolution, could be macroevolution, and there's genetics that seem to indicate a similar source. Okay? A Christian scientist, a, a creation scientist, would look at those same three things and they would provide their take on those same three pieces of evidence and would, would provide their theory on why they're true. Right? Why is there microevolution? Well, because God's brilliant. He designed us for like that. Uh, why, why do we see transitional creatures in the fossil record and say, well, look at the fossil record really closely? There's not many. There's not many things that you could call a transitional. There's far less than you would expect. Okay? There, there's like almost none. And so they look at some of the same evidence and say, yeah, you say that there's this one creature. Granted, maybe that is, but let's look at the fossil record as a whole. And what we see is things kind of similar to what they are today. Dogs are still dogs, and horses are still horses. And you, you go back, and yes, we, we understand that there are creatures that are extinct, but that doesn't mean they're transitions. And then they look at genetics and say, why, does it, why do we have similar genetics? Because we have the same maker. Right? 
It just it, it kind of makes sense. So I guess the, the point is, why do people, a lot of people believe in evolution? Because it's not, it's not wild, okay? If you, if you start from a place that God doesn't exist, then it's not wild. And if you allow, if you, I mean, I, I think if you start to study it, you, you find lots of holes in it, but that maybe this next point will make more sense of that. Um, why do we see so much talk or teaching about evolution. Um, and the, the last thing is, sorry, the second last thing is that nothing else is allowed to be taught. Okay, so, so you, now you've got a theory that in some ways is plausible, and it has to be, right? Because otherwise you're, you're not going to have people buy in. And so if you can teach something that makes some sense of some of the evidence, and that's the evidence that you talk about, and then you say, well, if you're going to be a teacher, or if you're going to be a professor, if you're going to be a, a real scientist, then this is what you have to believe. And if you're going to go to education, if you're going to go to school to study these things, then you're going to be bombarded with years and years of teaching about evolution. Then ultimately you end up with with most of academia who believes in evolution. Why? Well, partly because no other voices are allowed in. Right? You're not allowed to, like if you if you're a science teacher in public school, you have a curriculum that you have to teach. So you either go against the board and hope that you hope that you survive, hope that they don't fire you, or you you teach what you're told to teach, and, and that's what most do. And I think uh, even teachers and, and and imagine today if you're a Christian and you're thinking about going into evolutionary science or or that origin science, right? If you're a young person and you're thinking, man, in my future I'd love to study this you're going to have a really hard road. You're going to have doors closed on you constantly. You're, going to get, you're not going to get positions that you deserve. You're going to be potentially fired from positions that you have just because of what you, what you think is true, based on the evidence. So when you silence all other voices and you only speak one, then it does make sense that most people in a society will believe that one thing. Why wouldn't they? That's all they ever hear. So... And finally, and I think probably the, the, the biggest reason that most people are willing to accept evolution is true is because it presents a worldview without God. At least without a, the need for God, without a God who's super active and involved in our lives. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So it begins with the truth being pushed away, pushed down, silence, right? And then he goes on, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are made without excuse. So he says everything that, everything that you need to know to believe in creation is clearly seen. It's evident. You, you can't look around. You can't look at your body. You can't look at the world that we live in and think, man, that's such a cool accident. You have to, you have to recognize that there's a, a brilliant, artistic, creator, loving creator that made these things. But you suppress that truth, and then all of a sudden it starts, you start to question it. It says in verse 21, because they, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. They knew it, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't accept it. They wouldn't give him the position that he deserved. 
They weren't thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So now you've got this, these people who've suppressed, who've pushed away, who won't glorify, and now there's darkness on their heart, their understanding. They profess to be wise, but they've become fools. They've changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up. And listen, what happens is, what happened then is they would say, I don't want to accept this God. I'll make my own God that I can control. Here's, here's my God. I'll put him on my shelf. I'll, I'll pray to him and worship him or, or give him sacrifice or whatever he requires, but I've got this control, Right? What we've done is we've said, okay, we can't, this doesn't make sense either, but we can't accept this. And so let's come up with a theory that doesn't require either so that mankind can be God, right? We become our own small gods. It is the original sin. It's, it's us lifting ourselves up above God and us pushing away the need for God. And all humanity, all of us are bent to do this, right? We, this is our sinfulness. And so within this conversation, we have God creating us with, in his image with an understanding of his existence in our hearts, in our conscience. We all have that. We have to suppress that. But we also have our flesh, the, the wickedness inside of us that has this great desire to be its own God and is constantly pushing that aside and suppressing that. And, and, and so, I mean, who wins? Well, I think most of the time we win. Our flesh wins. We push that truth aside. And so when, you, when we look at the world, I mean, it's a complicated answer. There's a lot of different things we could get into. But I think we look at the world and we see ah, a plausible theory that doesn't require a God in our lives and is the only voice that's really ever presented. Why would you not believe it unless you're challenged to not believe it? Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about what you've just heard or are interested in the ministry of Maple City, please visit our website at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.